Empire podcast this week, we tackle the return of old Shellhead, the man in the can, the aluminium Avenger. Yes, it's Steve Coogan and Michael Winterbottom, the look of love. We also have an exclusive pod interview with a man who is Alan Partridge and now Paul Raymond. That's Mr. Steve Coogan, of course. Plus, we review Lords of Salem, Bernie, the ABCs of death and a little film called Iron Man 3. We'll also be talking to Don Cheadle, a.k.a. War Machine, a.k.a. Iron Patriot, and the only movie podcast that got a 10-podcast ban for biting wittertainment on the shoulder. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and my Iron Man style UHD is telling me that we're 85% capacity for this week's Empire podcast which frankly is as good as it's ever going to get especially when I've just got off a plane uh, I'm back after a difficult week in Cancun where I was once served a drink at room temperature Let me tell you that waiter will not be feeding his family anytime soon But I digress Joining me to talk about the return of Tony Stark and much much more are three of my Empire colleagues First off is a man who if he decided to follow Tony Stark's lead and don a metal suit could choose a name that would get Alanis Morissette all kinds of excited. Isn't it ironic? Iron, Iron Nick. Iron, Iron Nick. It's Iron. It's Nick the Semlin. Hello. Hello. You alright? Yeah. Nickel is a type of metal, so I'll just call myself Nickel. Nickel Man. I like it. It's good. Uh, next, we have a young whippersnapper who's into all the latest technology, all the latest gear. He's fully first in CompuServe, often follows bands on ping using his Spectrum ZX81. Why not hit him up on his MySpace page? It's our fair young Tony Stark, Ali Plum. My voice is my passport. <laughs> hello, everyone. Hello, hello. And last but not least is a man who's as glib and sarcastic as Tony Stark, only with none of the facial hair, money, or likability. It's Ollie Richards. Hello. hello. You all right? Oh, all right, thanks. That's good, a lovely good. introduction. I know. I like to, you know, make you feel special and wanted around yeah. here. Fully big up. <laughs> I hope not. Uh, okay, let's get started. Lots to get through this week. Uh, first up, your questions, comments, death threats, as usual, which my uh, Charvis system, we, we call it Jakey around here, is piping into my helmet even as we speak. Uh, okay, from Ward17, Ward underscore 17 on Twitter asks, after A. Eckhart's, uh, Aaron Eckhart, do you? Uh, brilliant interview. It got me thinking, what movie stars do you think have the best chins? There's only one correct answer, isn't there? Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell is a good answer. Of course, because of his book, um, Make Love the Bruce Campbell Way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, wait, 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 wait. If chins could kill. If chins could kill, yes. There yeah. are some worthy contenders, though, for this crown. Um, I've written out quite a few. I actually immediately thought of The Mask, because Jim Carrey has that kind of dimply job. Oh, that's job. a fake chin, though. But then there's also the other Jim Carrey movie, um, is it Me, Myself and Irene, where he has a uh, mm. plastic surgery chin, mm-hmm. which is just demented. But, but it's actors, not characters, right? Otherwise you could have half the cast of Dick Tracy. <laughs> that's certainly like true. It. But um, I'm going yeah. to uh, put in uh, Harrison Ford for contention because of his uh, scar, which I think is a big part of his... Um, his chin appeal. Which, of course, we know he got after tackling a lion on a moving train. Yes. Does anyone know how Harrison Ford actually got his scar then? Because I don't, I don't really know. I believe he uh, drove into a lamppost when he was a young man. That doesn't sound very Harrison Fordy. But he was probably, there was probably a lion in another car. It kind of <laughs> drove into him. I can imagine. He's probably whittling yeah. something at the time. <laughs> making a small months. wardrobe. <laughs> or yelling, never tell me the odds. He was pointing his finger at somebody, wasn't he? He was doing something at the time. Finger of doom. Incidentally, if you haven't seen it already, do check out the Jimmy Kimmel skit he does. Honestly, you have to watch it. It's on both our Facebook page and on our Twitter, uh, where he is the funniest he's been in years, Harrison yeah. Ford, when he says, you know, I'll take a Q&A, sure, if people in the audience want to ask us questions, but no Star Wars questions. Camera turns. There's a man dressed as Princess Leia <laughs> going, um, do you like movies <laughs> this other guy goes 
are you hungry? And then eventually it cuts to Chewy. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's very funny. That's it kind of a sequel fun. to his fucking Matt Damon uh, cameo in that video. Yeah, and I, I, the weird thing is uh, that got me really excited about the prospect of him returning his hand in episode 7 because he has, for like two minutes, he has that old Han Solo <laughs> swagger back again and just arguing with Chewbacca. Even, you know, it's just, even if the flow was just for a joke, made me laugh quite a lot. Uh, Other answers to this question, yeah. I would say we might want to cast your minds back to Unbreakable because uh, Samuel Jackson's character talks about just this in comic books, which I thought was quite interesting. But anyway, I'd also say Sly Stallone is a, a good, good chinner. Um, and also Josh Brolin. Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon's, uh, as she was dubbed this week. Very harsh, obviously. <laughs> how does she eat her? How does Reese eat her dessert? Well, you don't get any dessert in prison. Um, <laughs> Do you not get dessert in prison? I don't I know. I've never been to prison. Just, well, well, why are you worried you're not going to go to prison? I'm not a right-wing bastard, but no one should get dessert in prison. You're in prison. It depends what you've done. Take their puddings away. Well, I know in Arrest Development you can have an ice cream sandwich, but you have to pay for that. Yeah, I, I think if you've made This Means War... You don't get any dessert in prison. I think that's that's pretty much the rule. Or Just anyway. in life, generally. <laughs> in life, no dessert for you. Grounded and no Sorry, Bane. No dessert. Maybe that's why he's so angry. <laughs> Maybe it's burr, 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 means where's the apple crumble? <laughs> now, now we know. Yeah, it's Kirk Douglas. How can you not mention Kirk Douglas? That is a good chin. Shit, but, that's a good uh, chin. The man got top chin. And I think I've won the, <laughs> the argument with that John one. John Hamm, good chin. John Hamm, good chin. John Hamm, good chin. Robocop, good chin. Yeah. Robocop, um, good chin. Mm, really? Mm. Robo chin. Is that is more that of a chin? Just, is that a jaw? Is that a jaw? Yeah. 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 Okay, I, I know right. it's not a person, but the tick has one hell of a chin. Oh, Patrick Warburton. Yes. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Um, we tackle the big questions here. We yeah. really <laughs> took that question to town. We really get to the nitty gritty. It's like listening to the Cahir de Cinema podcast uh, on many, many occasions, I imagine. Okay. At Drew Jer. 84 asks with RDJ that's Robert Downey Jr. to you maybe playing Tony Stark for the last time in IM3 that's Iron Man 3 uh, who do Empire that's us believe can be the best replacement ooh go I can't think of anyone for this but just because we spoke to him recently and he was charm personified why the John hell John not it's an unusual choice Rufus Sewell oh that, no, I don't that see is, it. You have just chosen a man. <laughs> you have chosen a human being just, with a thought. face and a head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, I honestly don't know who to think of this. The only person I thought of who I think is too young is Army Hammer. Okay. I, this is not based on comic books. This is purely based on seeing the film. I've heard rumours about John Hamm um, being linked to this. And I love John Hamm. He's kind of around the same age as Downey Jr., isn't he? He's not... Uh, yeah, yeah, they must... Yeah, if anything, he's younger. So... But I guess they wouldn't be casting younger going out of the way to do that. It's more because Downey Jr. doesn't want to do another one, so... Mm. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see John Hamm doing it. I don't know if he has quite the same kind of cocky rock star swagger. I also don't know how he'd look at a goatee beard. Is that that important? Don't... Yeah, is yeah, that a crucial thing? It's quite important. Mm. I yeah. think it is. But then yeah. again, you know, I was a guy who went, Bond can be blonde, and, you know... You did. Yeah, I know, but I just... I'm a, I'm a purist. Anyone else want to add anything to the Tony Stark conundrum in case RDJ doesn't come back? Because it's really tough. Would they? Do you think they definitely recast him if he didn't come back? Because that is, of all of them, he is the most closely associated with that. Like yeah. he's kind of indelible in that role. I think almost all the others, if you were to replace them, it could go on. But I just can't see Iron Man without Robert Downey Jr. It's really tricky. I mean, could Marvel uh, if? Clearly taking risks, as as people will see 
uh, in Iron Man 3 they're taking risks with their, their core characters and whatnot. could they potentially if he didn't want to come back for Iron Man 4 or Avengers 2 just quietly write Tony Stark out and just say he's off you know spelunking somewhere I think so could they, could they do that can you get away with that just to confirm he is coming back for Avengers 2 he is in that film he, uh, that's not confirmed he doesn't know he doesn't know? He's, no, he said, uh, there was a BBC interview the other morning, and he said he genuinely doesn't know yet, because there's not a script. What's curious about this, and I'm just pointing this out because it's a truth, as part of his deal for Avengers, he got $50 million mm. as a back-end cut. Mm. I'm not saying that he's led by money. He's got a wife, he's got a kid, he has done four movies as Iron Man now. I totally get where he's coming from. But $50 million for the first Avengers, which then went to make billions of dollars... Well, he got fifty million because it made billions. Yeah. Of dollars. Because it made billions of dollars. Do you think there might be perhaps a financial incentive if he came back? Well, why? How much more money do you need? It's about is there growth in his character? Is there room for him to do interesting stuff? It is really interesting stuff on Iron Man three, as we'll get to later on in the uh, in the show. But uh, yeah, I suspect he'll be back. If he isn't, just because I've been watching a lot of Arrested Development again, Will Arnett. Well, <laughs> that would be Let's amazing. Do it. I would, I would go and pay to see that. He's be, playing he, Batman, yeah. I think, or is it? I think he does the voice of Batman Lego, in a Lego Batman, movie. Yeah. But um, that's an interesting one. I, I, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't think he's ever going to sort of reach that level of um, of roles necessarily. But I'd like to see it. Yeah. What about? Uh, I see you got a picture there, uh, Ollie of. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, it's for, it's for a news story. It's not just yeah. something I carry around. Just, yeah, it's a tattoo um, in your arm, let's be honest. What, could I see him doing it? Yeah. No, he's far too young. Do you think someone in 10 years' time, maybe mm. something like that? And honestly, yeah. well, there's a lot of things that I thought I'd... You know, I never used to rate him much as an actor. Mm. And there are many, many things he's done since that I think he is very good in, so I certainly wouldn't say he can't do it. But you couldn't replace Robert Downey Jr. with him, could you? Because he's just... No. He's too young. Yeah. yeah. It's just because he's got three names. It was just... And there was a room. picture there. There was a picture, and I saw it. Uh, also, uh, Katie Price, Jordan, Katie Price, Adele. yeah, uh, Adele and Henry Cavill. He there could, was a, he could do it. There was a copy of Heat and a copy of Empire. We should point out there, essentially. You're uh, uh, Nick Dissemlin. What about him? Could he do it? Um, looking out into the uh, the lobby here through the window of the podcast recording booth, Heat have a massive picture of TV stars uh, from the BAFTAs or the TV Awards a few years ago. So I'm going to throw out some names, possible replacements for Tony Stark, and. Or is he going to be Ant-Man, presumably? Uh, Deck, David Walliams, Jimmy Nesbitt, that bloke from Dragon's Den, none of those guys. He's got the millions already, he's got Stephen the money. Stephen Merchant. We are dismissing Pat from EastEnders. Uh, yeah, she ruled herself out, but she'd be a great paper pot, so. All right, so we have no clue whatsoever about that one. Uh, but we do know about this one from at underscore Aneri. Uh, what movie did you rewatch the most when you were kids? Uh, I always watched a movie, I believe it was called The Phantom Tollbooth. <laughs> uh, which was I'd need to double check that but it was that um, I think it was Hanna-Barbera it was a mix of it started as live action and then when it's cartoons very much ahead of his time uh, I don't remember anything about it other than that there was a character called the watchdog in it who was a dog with a watch amazing and I watched it a lot because it's what we had on tape tape that's how far back yeah. we're going yeah tape very very old yeah probably my most prized possession when I was 13 was a, a VHS which had I don't endorse piracy, but it did have a pirated copy of Jurassic Park, which 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 fell into my hands. And um, did Dodson sell it to you? Th- yeah, in exchange for uh, just some shaving foam. There's nothing <laughs> He's very cheap. Um, yeah, so that that was great. Apart from somebody had had accidentally recorded a bit of a cooking program, <laughs> a bit involving some raptors. So 
Um, but I, yeah, you're painting yourself as much younger than you are. There, yeah. Mine was mine was from when I was about seven. Oh, we're we talking like, about when we were yeah. seven. I mean, did someone actually tape over the raptor bit, or did they just put a more palatable kitchen scene? What they felt was a, was a better kitchen scene on. No, my parents they probably thought it was a bit intense, so they they calmed it down a bit. Um, like an omelet. Gosh, when I was when I was like seven, um, I don't know. I just Ghostbusters, The Burbs. I used to watch a lot. Oh, the Burbs yeah. is great. The Burbs is fantastic. Mine is nowhere near as cool than even the Phantom Toll Booth or The Burbs. <laughs> Mine amazing. is a movie about a seal called Andre which I may have watched about 10 or 12 times for exactly that reason of I have the VHS, I'm on holiday, it's raining. Yeah. And I remember just watching it over and over and over. It's a little girl, makes friends with a seal, the seal gets lost. I, yeah, I remember on Do you remember? It was essentially yeah. Free Willy but with a seal yeah. and it doesn't jump as high. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a very, very slight film but if you do remember Andre, I'm sure you'll remember it with as, just as much fondness as I do. I think it was made for the exact reason that Free Willy was a big hit and they thought oh what God. else lives in water that we can make What else can we with? free? Yeah. <laughs> what else can we free? Yeah. yeah. Lucille. Um, I, uh, yeah, this is kind of weird and embarrassing, but when I was a kid, uh, I rented the Care Bears movie and watched it six times in a day. But I was about five in, in my defense, and I drove my parents mad by singing the lyrics to all the songs. At Dr. Junior asks, and this is a doozy, what has been your most uncomfortable movie watching experience, e.g. watching Killer Joe with your nan? That would have been weird. She's been dead for 10 years. Uh, so, guys, what are you thinking? I've got one which lives long in the memory, which is watching Adaptation with a friend and his family, his extended family. We had a cousin there, we had an aunt there, all sat down and watched it. And I can't remember explicitly what it was that was so incredibly embarrassing, but I think there was a long discussion of masturbation, I think, is in the film. <laughs> this is a raunchy podcast. <laughs> I can uh, I can beat that. Oh, oh, God. Don't, don't try and... <laughs> I can beat that, can I, you? I went on a date to see Antichrist. Um, <laughs> what? So on the plus side, on the plus side, there's quite a cute fox in it. On the downside... <laughs> Nick, what is wrong There is genital you? mutilation yeah. on quite a sort of excessive scale. What? Surely there's a clue. With me, adaptation, I kind of forgave myself because I didn't really see it coming no pun intended but with Antichrist that, that, yeah. that is an odd date movie <laughs> so did she know it was a date or you just decided this on the way to Antichrist anyway <laughs> yeah. I think Nick decided afterwards just went that was definitely a date <laughs> yeah. did you pull the let's, old, call it, uh, let's call it not a date did you pull the old diner trick of uh, you know the box of popcorn at one point she reaches in there's a severed penis <laughs> maybe, maybe in there move Some on because there's, there's a chance she's listening to this so uh, Ollie, ever had my couple movie watching really, experience? Really, really awkward ones. Just you know the kind of standard when you'd be watching something with your parents as a kid, thinking this is going to be a perfectly okay movie watching experience, and then there's nudity all over the place, mm. and your face explodes, <laughs> and your parents point at you, and you have to go and hide in your room for several hours. It's it's funny. I had that with uh, the Thomas Crown Affair, which on the surface is a very pleasant, enjoyable kind of yeah. caper, but it has a sex scene, which I asked Pierce Brosnan about explicitly. My question about the Thomas Crown Affair was, why does the sex scene go on for so long? And he gave me an answer, which was uh, essentially, when we shot it, it didn't last that long. And my brain kind of melted a bit. Well, so they were just looping bits of looping bits of bit of sexiness. But he said yes. The way he described it was, it's a bit like in Ben Hur. It must have just said in the script, chariot race. Mm -hmm. For Thomas Grand Affair, it just said love scene. Wow, 
That's pretty lazy screenwriting. It is a bit, isn't it? But what yeah, else would you write? that was definitely one I. Well, don't, write, you know, no, don't say. No, anything. but you, we'd write things like you would write the setting, you would set the mood of the of the screen of the of the scene. You wouldn't just write, he you know, her. interior bedroom day love sure. scene. Uh, but yeah, it, it, that that was definitely a very awkward moment with my parents just watching that because it never ends and they knock stuff over and it's horrible. I do yeah. remember cocktail particularly. There's a scene with the waterfall. And Elizabeth Shue takes her top off. And I remember vividly watching that with my parents. <laughs> Manon de Source. I remember we had to watch that in Manon de Source. Eh? Uh, we had to watch that in French class when I was very young. And that, that was. Un- French class? That was un- uncomfortable. Well, it's a French film. Yeah, I'm aware of that. <laughs> so I guess that, you know, there was some connection there. Um, but we had to watch that sort of a, a room full of boys with a, a teacher with a moustache standing there, with, <laughs> male or female, uh, <laughs> indeterminate. Um, My teacher used to was... fast forward those bits, so it would be just like French, 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 French. So it's like a carry on film. French, 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 French. What you want as a teacher who fast forwards through the dialogue? <laughs> That's what you want. No, that yeah, that yeah. would be uncomfortable. Uh, look, class, look upon the beauty of the female form. <laughs> that's, what, that's what you want. Isn't it? Anyway, uh, I, um, I, I, yeah, same as you guys. Anything with nudity in it, really. Uh, not, it wasn't an uncomfortable movie watching experience necessarily, but I watched from dusk till dawn with my dad without telling him that it turns into a vampire movie halfway through, and he looked very disappointed. He looked, he looked, <laughs> he looked across at me when, you know, Christopher, very disappointed in you. My uh, my parents disapprove of of swearing strongly, so any kind of viewing experience is extremely tense if it's sort of rated twelve or above. And we, I tried watching Midnight Run recently. And there was about two minutes of it, which was fine. And then it was just a stream of F-bombs and J-grenades and all kinds of things. J-grenades. <laughs> they must hate four weddings and a funeral, because on the surface they're like, this'll be jolly. Oh, come along. Yeah. I've yet to yeah. find a film that will shock my parents. Really? Yeah. Antichrist? Uh, they just wouldn't They wouldn't like it. wouldn't shock them, I'm sure. My mum read Fifty before. Shades of Grey was very disappointed by how tame it was. Really? Yeah. Really? Oh, she said, "Get me harder stuff." She said, "I've read worse than that." She's what? read worse than oh, that. Oh god, yeah. Okay, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Can we get her on the show? She'd probably happily do it. Okay, that's enough for your questions. As ever, you can get in touch via the following methods: Facebook, Twitter at Empire Magazine using the hashtag Empire Podcast, and email we're podcast at EmpireOnline dot com. Now. 2013 could well be the year of the Coogan, cinematically speaking. Sir Steve, as he will obviously one day be known, will soon be... Will be blah, blah, blah. Sir Steve, as he will one day be known, will be seen in August as Alan Partridge hits a big screen at long, long last in Alan Partridge Alpha Papa. But this week he can be seen as the notorious Soho tycoon Paul Raymond in The Look of Love, which reteams him with Michael Winterbottom, his director on A Cock and Bull Story, and The Trip. We sent along Nick and Ali to grill him mercilessly. Uh, we're delighted to welcome Steve Coogan to the Empire Podcast. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Excellent. Okay. So, uh, yeah, The Look of Love. Uh, first question, uh, what was surprising to you in your research about Paul Raymond? Um, not a lot that was surprising because it's all sort of, it's sort of very much, his life was very much on the surface. There was no great hidden depths to him. Um in fact, the most interesting thing about him was that there weren't hidden depths to him. Um, uh, the, the most interesting thing about him is, sort of, insofar as The Wizard of Oz is interesting, because um, he, like The Wizard of Oz, had this sort of this persona that he manufactured and this, this grandstanding challenge to the status quo in terms of displaying sexuality in a more visceral, obvious uh, unmitigated way and um, and was a showman and uh, everything but uh, he was really just the man behind the curtain uh, and, and in some ways quite a sort of a sort of a, 
sort of sub, sub, small suburban man with sort of slightly pernickety, endly retentive uh, tastes, yet yet he sort of peddled the pornography, although he wasn't an overtly sexual man either. I think he was just a businessman. I mean, he was really a post-war spiv who sort of achieved every spiv's dream <laughs> of creating a sort of spiv empire of sex and and... And he just saw where the market was, and dis- I mean, he literally discovered that his, if he made his assistant to his his um, memory man act, if, if she took her clothes off, he got much better audiences. And uh, which sounds incredibly obvious, but at the time it was like a eureka moment for him. And um, but yeah, the most obvious thing we discovered was that he was really just very ordinary. Later on in uh, his career, he kind of has a midlife crisis of a sort, and he grows this. I'm, I called it a filthy tash. Like an absolutely despicable tash. Was that your very own? And how did people react to it off camera? Uh, it wasn't my moustache. It was because we had to jump between um, eras. Uh, it was my hair in the 1970s. I have long blonde hair in the film, which I'm proud to say was my own mane. Um, uh, I, so I did have long blonde hair for about four months, which was... Uh, very odd it was really weird to have hair like that because I've never had hair like that and it was um, but um, but no the moustache was, was there were several there was two there was one two three three moustaches there was an old short one a initial early 70s one and then a mid 70s sort of Zapata style one my favourite one of all that sort of went down the sides yeah it, I mean I love that look that's my favourite it's the one that's on the poster because I said this is the look I want to you the look of love the look of love. Well, it's not the look of love. It's the look of something, but it's not love. Um, uh, look of lasciviousness, perhaps. Um, uh, that that's yeah, that's that's great. All that stuff was was very enjoyable when you dress up and all that stuff, and you you, you can look different. It's um, it's it's a ball. You know, I used to walk back. We because we were shooting in Soho. The dressing room was in Soho. I would walk back from location through Soho in my flared suit and my pattern moustache and my long hair. I kept a time. No one looked at me twice. <laughs> it's good to have that kind of um, camouflage, I guess. I-, I imagine when you were shooting in Soho, you're the kind of guy I imagine people come up to you pretending like you're best mates. Was that something you suffered from when you were shooting in Soho? Uh, no, because I didn't really look like me. I mean, because I looked like this bloke with a moustache in a 70s suit. So they probably just thought I was some weirdo. But um, <laughs> no, don't, I, I wasn't... Yeah, it was... Um, we were strangely unbothered by people. I mean, if we shot a particularly provocative scene, we'd do it at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning. We'd just see a few, a few stragglers from the night before who just wanted to walk in a straight line. So. Chris Addison's wig is astonishing. And is there a fine line to, to walk when you're making a movie that's set in the 70s? Well, I mean, the, the, there were people like... The, there was lots of hair like that in the 70s. Chris, I mean, I, it's, it's strange because I got so used to seeing Chris with a beard and a curly hair like that that when I saw him without the wig and the beard, I, it would throw me slightly because I, I wasn't used to seeing him like that. Um, I just got so used to seeing him looking like that. Um, and in the 1970s, there were lots of men that looked like that. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, um, but uh, he 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 was fantastic. You know, he he was really and and played this very hedonistic sort of slightly unattractive but damaged man 
who led Paul astray in some respects. Um, but that's nothing, I mean, that's so far from who Chris Addison is. That he, he probably did the most, his acting job probably stretched in the most more than anyone else, I think. Now, Raymond in this uh, film does, I think, three key impersonations. Now, we know you as an impressionist, as well as many other things. Was that something Raymond actually did? Or no, did... it's just a lie. It's just, uh, invented by us to make it slightly more interesting. <laughs> Paul Raymond wasn't, you know, we also made Paul a bit more witty and rakish um, than he it was. Mm. You know? So, so we, there's an artistic license there. We made him a little more. Uh, we gave him more of a wink, a more a more mischievous disposition, in part, which is not really the way he was. He he was quite conservative. Um, but we just thought that might be a bit too, and we we tap into that a little bit, but, but we just thought it might be too dull. So we invented something. So, I mean, at that particular, I thought it was rather, rather odd. I said to Michael, "Suggest I do an impersonation." I thought, "Well, it's ridiculous." You know? um, but he said, "No, it'll be just do it." So I did it. Um, so. So, uh, but but uh, you know, a lot of the way I play Paul is is based on uh, you know certain speech patterns and a certain way he held himself is based on a lot of research to do with archive material and talking to people who knew him, spent time people who knew him, uh, asked about the way he spoke and spoke to people who knew him in his voice to say was he like this and he uh, really did do do the work and and was fairly faithful to, to that. Um, we just embellish it when we thought it would make it more interesting. I'm curious, you've worked with Michael on this in the trip. Can he do any impersonations? Does he no, ever try? No, he, no, he, no, <laughs> he, tries. Not. No, he can't. He can barely speak himself. <laughs> no, he's, no, he's not. No, he's so not like that. He's very... No, he can't do... He's not remotely <laughs> like that. He can't do any voices at all. No, he's it's quite good, really, because you don't... He, he's not like that. He, he And he. it's not that we sort of... It's strange. It's like we're an older, quieter brother who... He just he just thinks I'm interesting, so he he makes me do things, and uh, I feel very comfortable working with him because I know he won't hang me out to dry. So I'll I don't mind doing odd, unusual, weird things on set because I I know he'll use it to make the film better and not to make me look like a dick. Have you or Rob ever attempted an impersonation of him? Oh yeah, I can do an impersonation of him. Yeah, yeah. can we hear it? Please tell me that's after a bad day. <laughs> so you sound stressed out. That, 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 that's sort of, I'm worried about him now. Yeah, he, he, uh, no, he, 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 he sounds like he's. I mean, it's really hard for him to sort of think of. <laughs> he does sound like that. He does sound like he's had a bang to the head. No, this is going to come across as, as slightly insincere, but I got the impression that shooting the trip was a huge amount of fun, and then occasionally the cameras were rolling. Do you feel like it will be the same for trip two? I gather you're going to Italy? Um, yes, we are going to Italy. It's very hard work doing the trip. Um, it, uh, it, was, it was much harder than it appears, because the trick, the curse of doing it well is that it looks like you're just having fun. But of mm. course, uh, it was improvised, but it was meticulously improvised which means that we'd uh, I mean Rob and I got on very well together but we also know how to when we improvise with each other where to take the improvisation to make it fruitful so he won't start talking about what he bought at the shops that morning because he knows it will be dull Um, even though he might want to talk about that but he won't so you, you, you develop these faculties that make you gravitate towards what you think might be entertaining without trying to play to the gallery um 
And Rob and I might well be driving along in the car between takes and then we'll say, oh, that's interesting. Oh, let's have that conversation. And sometimes Rob would say to me, I'd say, oh, you know what, blah, blah, blah. And he'd say, stop, don't, let's not have this conversation now because it's going to be interesting. So wait until the cameras are rolling, then let's have the conversation for real. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, Michael, can you shoot this? He said, okay, we'll, we'll do it, we'll do it in a while. I'd say, let's just, let's just save it now. Cameras are rolling and we'll do it. Because you can have the conversation in reality, but if you try to recreate the conversation, it will only be partially successful because you've already had it. Mm. Whereas if you, if you know that it's going to be fruitful, you go, well, let's just wait and have it now. Then you can come back to it again and try and recreate it. Um, but you, 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 that's where it's hard because you're going to ramp up to what you've already been talking about. But um, like I say, we, we, um, sometimes we'd say the night before we're having dinner, we'd say, right, and make a note of that and say to M- Michael, look, we thought we would be, be good to talk about this because of X, Y, and Z. And, and we'd do that. But uh, what was it? it was hard. It was, it, but it was, it was fun. It was fun sometimes. And when you're on a roll and you're improvising and you know that you're getting good stuff and it's sort of prickly and interesting, that's when you know, oh, this is good stuff we're getting. But it was not just lots of fun sometimes the cameras were on. Because, I mean, look, you know, like eight hours to shoot a dinner. Every, every <laughs> dinner was in that. It took eight hours. And then we'd have to come back to the same restaurant a couple of weeks later, have the same meal again and pick up some of the points to assemble what looks like a very effortless discussion. But it doesn't matter if you, if you just turn the cameras on. No one has interesting, urbane, witty discussions constantly during an entire meal. You just sit, if, you, if it was reality, half the meal would be sat there in silence and all you'd hear is the clinking of forks and knives on the plate, which is interminable. So, you know, so you guys are off to Italy to do the second one. Yes. How much do you prepare before you go off? Well, I guess I've already had a trip to Italy about three weeks ago. I went there to meet Rob and Michael and go for dinner and talk about what we were going to do, um, what other characters were going to be in it. So, uh, but that and I—that's a bit of research, I suppose. But um, I'm going to have to do some reading um, because we're supposed to be retracing the footsteps of the Romantics of, of uh, Shelley and Byron and Keats and all their women and stuff, and I don't know enough about it. I'm not supposed to, but I'm sort of damned if Rob's going to come across as an authority. He (laughs) equally knows nothing about it. So uh, what we'll do is we'll both try and read up on it, and it'll be a great motivator to me to read up on it so I've got more knowledge than he supposes, so that when we improvise, um, I can just drop some information on him or expose his lack of knowledge. Sometimes it becomes that thing where you try and compete with each other by using dirty tricks in the improvisation but so you know i mean so you're kind of aggressively texting him quotes from uh... i know what i might do is i mean in the first trip he I, he, he asks me to give a eulogy or uh, that i would give if he was dead and i know i knew that he was doing it so that he could do one he had one up his sleeve <laughs> so he let me do one and what i did was as soon as i finished mine i walked off and i knew that he really wanted to do one but i didn't let him but so he fell into my trap by letting me go first, thinking that I would generously let him then reciprocate, which I didn't do. So you, 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 you sort of t- try little tricks and it wound him up, but that made him angry and that anger, anger was good. My last question you may see coming, but obviously it's about Alan Partridge, but I'm thinking about the teaser. I really enjoyed the little trailer you did oh, yeah, yeah. where the conversation was, what should we call this yes, thing? Yeah. How much of that was based on truth and what was the closest one to Alpha Papa that wasn't Alpha Papa? Um, well, they were all real titles that we genuinely wanted to use. 
what we discussed using. I want to call it colossal velocity. Um, and so we thought we'd make a virtue of that and have a conversation about it. Uh, chap of Steel, that was never really a contender. Gunbird, what was it? Hectic Danger Day. Hectic Danger Day, that was, that was, I think, probably the second choice. Ariel, Hectic Danger Day, it's such a clumsy, but they thought, so, oh, we'll get sick of it after a while. I, really, I wanted to call it that, I was outvoted, they wanted to call it Alpha Papa. They thought it was really good, and I said, okay, fine. But if it was called Hectic Danger Day, I would have been very happy. I think that would be the pirated Chinese version yeah, of the Buddha yeah. copy. It's just, yeah, it, I, I love it's just, it's, um, it makes me laugh. But Hectic Danger Day makes me laugh. Um, and what I, what I didn't come up with it, the Gibbons did, and they texted it to me, and I just burst out laughing. Um, but, I, I wanted to ask one final uh, question about Partridge. I don't know if you, you go on Twitter at all. I don't think you have an account. Uh, there's a thing, you mean the thing about accidental, people, accidental Partridge. Now, I've heard about it, but I don't, I don't. I, I, I'm sure there are. I mean, I should have a look at it really, but I think it's a bit weird for me to start looking at people. That, that, I mean, it's sort of. It's one of those things. I think if you start getting too into it, then you stop being funny at doing it. So it's like, but I, I, but someone said, "Oh, have you seen accidents?" I'm sure it's really funny because people do it all the time. I mean, I, people, reporters do it all the time, the, the, and and um, you know, Richard Maidley does it all the time, but, uh, and there are other presenters who just. Come out with just banal name. <laughs> you think why are they being paid to do this? I really want to know if you've ever heard heard back from Billotti about any of the references. He sent me a letter once. Oh, uh, about ten years ago. Uh, yeah, sort of a, a jokerly going along with it. Um, it sounded half joking and half irritated. <laughs> I couldn't quite figure out. <laughs> I don't think he quite knew how to respond. It was sort of like a half joking, but sort of a bit half annoyed. <laughs> I don't know whether it was, it was it was sort of jokey, but we didn't quite. Like, oh, 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 that's very funny. I'm your friend, Billotti. What about that then, eh? <laughs> you must have heard this. We had Roger Moore on our podcast and we asked him if he if he was aware of Alan Partridge and he said that his father had thought it was a real show. That's right, he did. It's in his autobiography, in fact. In fact, he told me, he said, uh, what did he say to me? He said, my father said, why didn't you turn up on that show? And I said, father, I said, it's a satire. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, Steve Keegan, thank you very much. Thank Bye-bye. You. All right, movie news time now. What have you got, guys? What have you got? What have you got? What have I got? What have you got? Ali, what have you got? Do you want me to tell Specifically, you what I've got? I'll tell you what you've got. What I've really, really got. Uh, mm-hmm. What I've got is Daredevil has officially come back to Marvel, Marvel Studios. It was being recooked and reheated and then put back in the oven and resuscitated several times uh, at Fox after the somewhat disappointing but actually not as bad as you remember it version. No one here is bad, yeah. Anyway, so it's back with Marvel. My, my story isn't anything really much more than that um, the time has just run out on the clock they couldn't get a movie production going in time for it to still be in their hands but my question for you guys is who should play Matt Murdock now that Ben Affleck presumably has moved on to better things unless he wants to direct, that would be kind of neat if he directed it mm. post Argo he won't, my suggestion would of course be Casey Affleck or failing that Al Pacino yeah. <laughs> Is there another Affleck brother in, that we haven't seen yet? Yeah, Alec Affleck, Aaron Affleck just go through the alphabet really now um, it, it, weirdly enough given that I'm a comic book fan and you know I, I, lo- I love Daredevil as a character and I enjoyed the first movie uh, this is kind of the opposite of the, the Robert Downey Jr. thing it's not that I don't think there's an actor out there who can't do this role I don't care I really don't care I don't have a strong candidate I'm sure Marvel will find someone they'll probably find a relative unknown as they did with Chris Hemsworth for Thor um, and you know they'll probably introduce him as a minor character. I'd imagine maybe in Avengers too, or Ant Man or something. Yeah, or Ant Man, or moving down the moving down the line. I'm not sure that Marvel are willing to would be willing to take a, a bet on uh, a standalone Daredevil movie. So what you're saying um, is not Matt Damon. 
Not Matt Damon. Okay. No. I yeah. also think that it might be neat if Chris Evans got a third Marvel character. That would be interesting. So he, what happens when Captain America faces off against Daredevil? It's insane. It is insane. I like it. I think we both like it. Um, yeah. Also, people have naturally, because they are good-looking young folk, uh, Ryan Gosling and Michael Fassbender, but I will eat my fist if that happens. Cause it's H- just having said that, I don't care if Fassbender would be wrong for that role, I think. Okay. Well, look, like I say, news story is essentially something we knew already, so well done me. Good journalism there. <laughs> yeah. But, but, it, but it, what's interesting is that it has lapsed, it. The, the rights of Lapsed to Marvel, and that's interesting, I think. And this is this is not the first time this has happened. I think Blade has referred it back to Marvel, The Punisher has referred it back to Marvel, and uh, you know, this is why Fox are trying desperately to get this Fantastic Four movie off the ground uh, before the rights to the Fantastic Four referred back to Marvel as well. Interestingly, there have been a couple of tidbits about Days of Future Past. Uh, that prodigious tweeter, Brian Singer, has been uh, getting his tweet on. He He's into Vine, by the way. If you don't know what Vine is, well done you. You've avoided it. <laughs> it's hellish. Hellish it's crap. Really terrible. Vine does seem like a thing too far. Vine is a six-second kind of GIF-making service when you can make kind of stop-motion videos where I just hold my finger over a screen for two seconds and then it takes that video and I can... Anyway, it's very dull. Our man, Brian Singer decided to do a vine of every single chair, you know, those special director's chairs for actors as well as directors, with the name of each character on it. So you had, obviously, Magneto and co, but you also had Warpath and Bishop and Blink. Uh, I honestly find this very confusing, and I've read the comics, so what I'd suggest you do is go to empireonline.com and take a look at the uh, Vine video and um, see if you can work it out for yourself. But essentially, a few names have been announced and new characters have been introduced. I'm slightly worried there are too many. There's going to be a lot of oh, characters too many cooks in this. But we don't know how many, how, what part they'll have. I mean, there were there were suggestions there were too many in the last ones. With what's the big guy who turned into metal? I can't remember. Colossus. Colossus. Everyone was like, oh, they got Colossus in. That's too much. He was in it for roughly three seconds. So I don't think you know. I think you've kind of got to trust Brian Singer on on this. Yeah, I think so. I think it's still a movie I'm feverishly anticipating yeah. next year. So. Uh, uh, see what happens. I mean, there were a lot of uh, mutants in X Men Two and Three, and like as Ollie says, they were they were barely in it. So mm. Blink could be you know, it might blink and you miss her. So. I also talking of him using Vine. I really like how he's using social media, for want of a less hateful term, on this yeah. film. I think he's being really smart about what he's putting out there. He is, yeah. Like just he just puts things. The out shot of Halle Berry, exactly for example. Halle yeah. Berry, and the the shot of what Beast is going to look like. Mm. I just think it's really. Oh, I missed that one up in Cancun for a week. Oh, it was, I uh, it. It was, few, it few was a concept back. art yes, thing. So it wasn't like his Beast. Yes. Oh, okay. It wasn't a final thing, but it was just a, very, oh, okay. a different look. It does seem to be a trend for directors to be kind of taking charge of their own yeah. promotional campaigns because Vin Diesel is doing that as well with Riddick, isn't he? He's yeah. all the all the you pictures see. that have been released have been on his Facebook page. Yeah, they've all become like Vin Diesel. Yeah, and James Mangold is unstoppable when it comes to tweeting about backstage photos. He once posted a photo of a small slug that Logan saw once on a log. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah, I, I think there's a fine line to be to be walked here. I think Singer's better than most, but I think sometimes, Mark Webb, I'm looking at you, you can go too far when it comes to giving us too much. I think he's, he's made a clear commitment to delivering a photo a day and he's, mm. that's, that's what he's doing. But, and it's avoidable. You don't, ha- you, know, you don't have to look at it. I think the reason for up Singer is that he kind of gets... He seems to have bypassed that thing, of, uh, which Amazing Spider-Man 2 has had a problem with, of a lot of pap photos. They seem to be paying a little bit of catch-up 
every now and again mm. with that film of oh god something's come out love Jamie yeah. Foxx let's put out something of Jamie Foxx yeah. whereas Brian Singer is just very much going, right look there's a look at someone this is what they look like this yeah. is what this is like so and I haven't really seen any other spy stuff because I don't know if I don't think you will it's, it's kind of killed well not killed the appetite but it's yeah. made that less um, exclusive yeah I suppose yeah we can move on to the next thing. What is the next thing? So my story is about Guys and Dolls, which is being remade by Fox, uh, and it is about Channing Tatum and Joseph Gordon-Levitt being apparently in talks for the main roles of Sky Masterson and Nathan Detroit. I can never remember their names. <laughs> and uh, the basic story of the film, if you haven't seen it or seen it on stage, is that uh, it's about gamblers and Sky Masterson and Nathan Detroit are two friends. Uh, one bets the other that he cannot uh, seduce a missionary. Yes. And it's all then lots of singing and dancing. Uh, I don't I don't think I've ever heard Channing Tatum sing. I know Joseph Gordon-Levitt can sing. I know both of them can dance. Didn't, didn't Tatum, Tatum sing? Did he, did he sing at the Oscars? He'll be taking he the Marlon Brando role, so I don't think he'll really need to sing. But it's not a non-singing role. Brando just couldn't sing. It certainly is not a not-singing role. Yeah. Both roles are actually really very difficult yeah. but Brando was Brando and that was kind of fun yeah but that's different if you're Brando you can be Brando but well, I, he was supposed to be he was supposed to be able to sing he just couldn't but he just was, couldn't really know I'm, I'm assuming Channing, Channing Tatum can and that's why he would want he would want to do it but I think that's great casting I think yeah. both of them would be really good in it Me too. has there been a director attached yet don't believe so I want to see Danny Boyle do this because he's, he's said in interviews that he wants to do a musical wow that'd and be interesting I don't know I just would love to see a Danny Boyle musical John C. Riley was really keen to play the Marlon Brando role. I don't think that's going to happen. Oh, of course, too, yeah, you talked to him old. about it in, uh, in the, on the podcast. It's it? a really great musical. It's, it's chock full of really good songs. The one that you're probably going to know best is not the Simpsons joke one. Just a bunch of crazy guys and yeah. dolls. Not in the musical. But it does have Sit Down Rocking the Boat, which mm. is a tune. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of others. So sue me. Lucky Lady Lucky tonight. Lady, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's great. It's, it's got um, one of my favourite character names. Nicely Nicely Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> who sings Sit Down. Yeah. It's great. It could be a terrific film. And yeah, I think Danny Boyle would be a... Oh, well, I'd watch anything Danny Boyle. That's fantastic. Danny, if you're listening, please. Yeah. But we talk about remakes all the time. This is a great example of a movie that wasn't that good, if yeah. we're actually honest, but has so much potential to be made into something really worthwhile. Yeah. It's funny, it's remembered as kind of a classic musical, but it's not at all. It's, there's good bits because it is a good musical, but it's, as a film it doesn't particularly yeah. work. Its best bits are in the script and in the actual mm. musical itself. You do much better seeing on stage than you ever would watching the old movie. But yeah. rights have been passed back and forth on this a number of times. It's really a complicated Have they thread. referred it to Marvel or not? I'm, I'm confused. Yes, this, this Marvel point. will now be making it. Sky Masters, that's got to be a superhero, will, will right? Direct. At the with end of Robert Avengers 2, they'll introduce at the end of the credits, the guys. <laughs> yeah. Two guys in sharp suits. Yeah. Um, my story is chock full of Braff, Zach Braff. Uh, following the whole Veronica Mars Kickstarter thing, um, he has decided to try and fund his follow up to Garden State as a director, star, writer. Um, his film is w called Wish I Was Here. And um, he's released a video where he's basically asking people to contribute money via Kickstarter to fund it. And he's doing rather well. It's uh, He had a target of $2 million and it's already on $1.5 million. This is helped by the fact he has over a million Facebook fans and over a million Twitter followers. And I've got to give him credit where it's due. He is fantastic at keeping his fans happy. He well, he's done the video that he's made uh, for this is very entertaining. I just watched it this morning and it's got cameos, if you will, from uh, Jim Parsons from Big Bang Theory, Donald Faison from Scrubs, 
and uh, Chris Hardwick from uh, the Nerdist podcast. Jim Parsons is actually going to be in the film with him. What's interesting about this story, I guess, is that it's a very Zach Braff story. He wrote it with his brother Adam. It is about a 35-year-old man who's an actor uh, who isn't getting the jobs he wants to. He has two kids that he has in private school, but he doesn't have the money anymore to keep them in private school, so he wants to take them to a public school, but the public school is kind of on its last legs that's near him, and he decides to teach them at home. So I asked him if it's a movie about that, Surely you're going to teach your kids the subjunctive and make the film Wish I Were Here, You Uneducated <laughs> Fool. And he said, that's a very good point, and it's actually brought up in the movie because it sounds snappier as a title. But yes, I'm aware of the subjunctive mood. Thank you. If there's much. a movie that gets into syntax like that, I'm, I'm on board. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> oh, to yeah. contribute to this Kickstarter. I am, I'm, I'm just excited about just the mention of the subjunctive in a cinema uh, outing. But yes, it's it's very Zach Braffy, and there are discussions to be made about how come he doesn't have the money himself. And Yeah all that kind of stuff I interviewed him there's a lot more detail in that check it out on empireonline.com did you ask for details of his bank account did you you ask to look at his books I impersonated a Nigerian prince Uh, (laughs) he bought it for about 10 minutes so I've got his sort code Mm. I I was surprised that there's been some kind of backlash about this people saying you know he's got money why doesn't he put it up himself why is he using Kickstarter that's not what Kickstarter's for which I just don't get that that it's entirely voluntary if you want to put any money into it and it also takes away that thing of if you you know a lot of people loved Garden State and said would you like to see the next Zach Braff film most people who loved that film would say yes and but anyone getting a film made at the level that he was making them is difficult so I think all it does is it takes away the thing of yeah I'm trying to get this made so oh if you'd like to see it if you give me 10 bucks then you can see it so I don't see why that's an issue for anyone he was also very clear in the interview to say I wanted to have total control of how the movie ended up. Mm. I want it to end the way I wanted it to end. I want just the little bits of Bob's to have his control on it. And apparently he couldn't do that with a studio system. Unless we have, you know, a complete uh, transparency in the process and, and can look at people's bank accounts and, you know, he might not have $2 million. It might be as simple as that. He might have he might have not made that much money from the scrubs people think he was probably a multi 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 millionaire but he probably may not be but even if he you know, is, but i think i think the there, but i think there is an argument to be made about that sort of thing Why? i think if someone like david fincher asks people for $400,000 to fund a, a goon um a promotional uh, what was it a goon sizzle storyboard reel. a goon scissor reel really you don't have $400,000 just sitting around in an ISA that you can't but, you why, can, but you know. why is that an issue why I think if, it, he's, if he's I think upfront about it saying that I want I want $400,000 to make this you may give money to it if you want to you do not have to you're asking, people, you're asking people to contribute twice you're asking people to contribute at the source for the but, Kickstarter and then you ask them to go but, and I, see but it again. I agree with both Chris and Ollie here yeah. yes it's weird and really I you just, should have the money but if that's what he wants to do that's what he wants to do. And like no, he says, agree, if I agree. you don't want to contribute, then don't. Exactly. It's fine. And we don't know. They might not have the money. They might not be able to get this, this sort of money. And this maybe is the best way to get a film made. Um, but I can see kind of both sides of the story. I, I do feel... I do feel personally that Kickstarter is for filmmakers who cannot get projects made, who, you know, uh, who maybe have never made a film before or want to get a short film made or or want to do something that they genuinely cannot do, they cannot fund themselves. Um, and I feel it's a little bit um, hypocritical of of uh, filmmakers who are maybe perceived as being quite rich and successful in their own right, asking other people to fund their movie. It's interesting just... too. It'll take away the ability for anyone to sort of go, oh, the studio made us do that, because this is true, mm. complete yeah. creative freedom for the Veronica Mars movie and for, and for this. Like he's saying, he's not going to have anyone telling him what to do. True. So but this is, this, that could be good or that could be bad. Nick, that's a great point, a... because if it's crap, 
Who that's are you going to blame? That's, that's all right. Then that's, 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 fine. The, that's, that's the responsibility fine. you take. Well, the Zach Braff one, certainly one of the levels of investment was that you watch. It's, he's going to broadcast it online. Right. So I don't even I don't even know whether the plan is to you know get a distribution deal to yeah. put it in loads of summer. I, I was curious because with Veronica Mars, it, there was a whole lot of stuff about there were different levels. You donated this much, you got a free T-shirt, mm. you got this, you got that. Is that is that the case with yeah, the Zach exactly Braff as well? Exactly okay. the same incentive donor incentives. They're called. 10 bucks will just get you a regular update on what's going on but then as it goes up it's for 10 grand you get to have a speaking cameo mm. in the film and he was telling me that actually the line is very important in the film it's just one line for just one character but it is a linchpin moment so he's paranoid that he's going to get some guy who pays 10 grand and is terrible on screen <laughs> and I was like ADR? yeah 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 <laughs> um, so there's that you also get voicemail messages you get premiere tickets all that kind of stuff I don't mm. think it is quite as inventive as Veronica Mars which has obviously some cachet in terms of characters you can play with and you, you know and love the people already with Zach Braff it's just hey it's me I can do a voicemail message for you what if you contribute more than like the, 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 the biggest level the highest level I'm very tired jet lag's kicking in um, but you know $10,000 is the highest level yeah, if if you put in fifty thousand, can you go live with Zach Braff for a week? Is this is this I'm something sure you, that you can do? Him. Yeah, he'd be free. He seems like a nice man. We yeah. had him on the podcast. I wouldn't be surprised because he actually said to his Twitter followers, "If you send me a video about like me for whatever reason, he set up a competition to his Facebook followers. I will come around to your house and I will spend the weekend with you." <laughs> and the guys who did it and won wrote, made the best video were from Vienna, Austria. Amazing. <laughs> he flew down with a cameraman and made this whole thing. He went there, got sloshed over a weekend, going oh, yeah. crawling. And oh, yeah, the guys who made the best video just happened to live in Vienna, Austria. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, oh, what a hardship, guys. I've got to go to Vienna. The video was pretty good, actually, uh. in, in their defence, but he also, because he said these Austrian guys were like, well, you did say you, you'd let us ask you to do one thing and we'll do it. And he's like, yeah, what is it? Could you clean our pool? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, and big news as well this week is that, of course, the new issue of Empire hits the stands with a force of a thousand exploding meteorites. Uh, good stuff this month. The cover story is uh, Man of Steel, the second time we put Man of Steel on the cover. And uh, yeah, we got the inside track on Zack Snyder's, uh, uh, Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan's uh, reinvention of Superman. We talked to Henry Cavill, David Goyer, Chris Nolan, Zack Snyder, Kevin Costner, Charles Roven, the producer. Uh, and it's a very, very exhaustive look at the making of that movie. We also have features on World War Said. I'm not saying C, I'm never saying C. World War Said. Uh, British, goddammit. Uh, World War Said, we have the feature on that one, talking to uh, director Mark Forster. Uh, we have a, a full and comprehensive look at the uh, 2013 Jemison Empire Awards with uh, breakout features on Martin Freeman, Damon Helen Mirren, Daniel Radcliffe, Sam Mendes. We have a really fun interview with uh, Neil Jordan and Stephen Woolley on the occasion of their 13th movie together by Sandium, looking back at their previous 12 movies. And by Sandium, of course, these are the guys who uh, directed and produced together the likes of Interview of the Vampire, The Crying Game, Mona Lisa, uh, Company of Wolves, and many, many more. Um, we have uh, a wonderful backstory looking at the tragic life, I guess, of uh, Christopher Reeve, which, which, which is uh, fantastic. We have several reports from the set of Red 2. Nick, that was you? You went uh, on set? That London? was me. That was I, you? I uh, got two words out of Bruce Willis. Fantastic. Were they what Red were they? 2? What words were they? Um... Hello, Nick. No, three I'm, words. He said, I'm Bruce. He said, I'll be right back. 
That's four words. Oh, okay, wow. right. I've, I've what, a, what a scoop! It's a long, <laughs> long form. Interview. Amazing. Can we kickstart the movie annotation of that little story? That'd be that'd be great. Uh, Simon Crook is on the set of Christopher Guest's Family Tree, the HBO series starring Chris O'Dowd. Uh, Helen O'Hara was on set of Percy Jackson's Sea of Monsters. In the uh, slate, we have a world exclusive look at the raid to Borandal with Gareth Evans uh, taking us through that movie, which is going to rock, believe me. Uh, and we also have some amazing pictures from that one. We have Ollie. Sadly, Ollie. Sorry. Writing about the Hangover Part Three, <laughs> which is a uh, really, really fun, greatest headline uh, of all time. Tribute to Roger Ebert, uh, and uh, Bruce Campbell talks about his cameo. Yes, his cameo in uh, Evil Dead and Aaron Eckhart. This is Man's Pint of Milk, and as well, we have all the latest movie reviews, DVD reviews, and news you could possibly want to shake a stick at. Finally, finally, finally. If- if you are even considering buying this magazine, obviously go and buy it. There is a double-sided poster that you get your hands on, which has Ooh. that incredibly cool Japanese ink print Wolverine poster. Trust me, you want that thing. It is very, very cool. Right, we are here back in the podcast booth without Chris and without Ollie and without Nick. It's just me who is staying over and a newcomer is here. His name is James Dyer. You might have heard of him. Hello. That's James. So we've come back into the podcast studio on Friday morning. As you may or may not know, the podcast comes out around about Friday, 11 o'clock. But we've come back in because we have seen Star Trek Into Darkness. And as the full, properly written, expertly penned review is coming out on Monday, we wanted to give you a taster of what the film was like. So this is a little teaser review, you might say. So if you don't want to hear anything about Star Trek to Darkness in advance, it's released on May the 9th, then please skip ahead about five minutes. There will be no spoilers. It's important I get that out there. Okay, no spoilers. Still with us? Good. I'm now going to ask James approximately 20 questions. They may end up being 9 or 15. We'll see. First question, James. Is it good? Yes, it is good. That's excellent news. And also just because everyone's going to be making the joke, is there lots of lens flare? There is a disproportionate amount of lens flare. Um, Yeah, it's actually really funny. I wonder whether or not you'd notice it unless you were looking for it. Um, But increasingly with JJ's films now, everyone just goes to spot the lens flare. And uh, there's a lot of flare. I found in the first film that it was actually borderline distracting borderline alienating. See, weirdly, I didn't. In fact, I barely even noticed it in the first one because I don't think I was looking for it at that stage, you know, back in 2009. I think with this one, I very much was. And this one, obviously, I saw in 3D. And the 3D does, shall we say, emphasise the lens flare quite a lot as well. Um, It's not bad. You know what? Everyone gives him loads of grief for it. I I, I don't have a problem with his lens flare. You saw this on the IMAX, is that right? I did, yes. Did you feel as you were watching it that it really benefited from that because it was shot in IMAX. It was shot with IMAX cameras um, uh, and some of the the full-framed IMAX shots, a lot of the exterior space shots are sort of full-frame IMAX and they are absolutely stunning and there's nothing quite like seeing that stuff on on that enormous IMAX screen. Um, The counterpoint to that obviously is that he didn't shoot it in 3D um, and JJ's not what I would describe as a 3D filmmaker. I think the, the thing is, and this is not just because I was brainwashed by Jim Cameron when he did Avatar, um, when you shoot in 3D there's a different grammar to the way you frame shots, to the way you structure shots. There's a z-axis which you can make more or less pronounced. Um, and I think you, 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 you set up the, the shots considerably differently. With um, JJ uses a lot of devices, a lot of uh, uh, techniques that you use in 2D filmmaking. So you have someone in the foreground out of focus. I've talked about this on the podcast before because it's a bugbear of mine. Um, out of focus to give the, the field depth. Whereas with 3D, that just looks weird. 
and there's an awful lot of that. And there's actually a scene in the film in a bar where there's something occluding the right-hand side of the screen and the left-hand side of the screen, and you see Kirk in the middle. And with that in 3D, it's it's very, very distracting. Um, I, I don't like, but then to be fair, this is me. I have I have a bugbear about uh, about um, 3D conversion. So, uh, and no one really needs to hear me bang on about that yet again. Is this the Empire Strikes Back to Star Trek's New Hope? That's the question, isn't it? Um, no. Um, it's one of these things. It's a, it's a good film. It's a very good film, actually. It's not it's not his Empire Strikes Back. I don't think. Um, I don't think it's 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 not an absolute nailed on five star masterpiece of cinema. Uh, that said, it's a really really good film. I'm sure most people know the plot by now. It's um, essentially set after the first film. Um, Starts off like the first one did with a kind of cold opening, which JJ is obviously very famous for on television, um, which is, in one sense, a miniature Star Trek movie from start to finish. A very good one, actually. It starts with a little adventure, it has a proper ending, it's got jeopardy, lives are nearly lost, it's a whole thing. Uh, it also feels like a science fiction take on the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, which is no bad thing at all. It's a, it's a, it's a cracking beginning, actually. Uh, and then you go straight from that to Back to Earth and Benedict Cumberbatch's John Harrison who is uh, a terrorist um, who's been blowing stuff up and causing carnage and attacking Starfleet. Um, and uh, he, he attacks a whole room full of people and, and, and uh, Kirk's mentor, Chris Pike, is injured. Uh, Kirk takes this very, very personally and decides to go gunning for, uh, for John Harrison and hunting him to the, the far ends of the universe, uh, a quest which takes him to the Klingon homeworld and beyond. So there you go. But it's, it, no, it's very good. I was going to ask you, we saw snippets of Klingons. Yes. Now, do we see a lot of them? Are, are they are they fully featured? Uh, you do see them with their helmets off, as it were. Um, anyone who's seen the DVD of the, 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 the 2009 Star Trek will see JJ's take on the Klingons with the kind of ridged helmets. Uh, and they return, but you do get to see them without the helmets. And I really, really, as a diehard Trekkie, loved the Klingons in this. Um, they're the Klingon, you can see the evolution. If in fact, if you read the feature in the latest issue of the magazine, you will see the evolution of the Klingon sidebar. Uh, but this is a perfect sort of cap to that, in that the Klingons have evolved. And this is, if you could take the Klingons from the next generation and transport them now to 2013, uh, this is what you'd get. Uh, and they look very good indeed. In fact, many ways you don't get to see enough Klingons. I would have liked Klingons start to finish, wall to wall Klingons. That's what I want. Klingon spin-off. That's right. Does this feel trekkier than the first one? Yes. Definitely. Um, the first film has one of those rare Star Trek qualities in that it has crossover appeal. Uh, the Voyage Home had it. Uh, very few of the others do. Um, but this was, uh, this was a film that appealed to people who weren't Star Trek fans as well as people who were. I think this one will not alienate people who got into Star Trek with the previous film, but it's not the kind of film you'd go to cold and think, hey, I really like Star Trek. It, it's more of a traditional Trek film. There's lots more going on. There's warp core breaches. There's no special anomalies. But there's, a, there's an awful lot of stuff like that going on in there. And it feels more like a traditional Star Trek film in the way it's structured and in the way it's paced. So it's much, much faster paced than the, than the first film. Uh, it's not quite as neat in the way it's packaged, but it does move a lot quicker. No ribbons of time. There are no ribbons of time. There is no nexus. Is there... There was a problem for some people who actually care to think about how time travel works and interdimensional fun times with the first one insofar as it didn't quite work necessarily. Does this have this feeling? Well, you're referring, of course, to the trousers of time theory from the first one. Uh, no, it's fine. I, I, this one doesn't have any huge uh, sort of 
leaps of chronology in that way. Um, it does suffer from something which Star Trek films have often suffered from, which is getting a little bit twisted by its own uh, logic. And if I were to make one criticism of uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character, who is amazing, he does absolutely steal the film, uh, to my mind. Um, it's that John Harrison suffers from um, Skyfall syndrome, in that his evil plan doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But uh, nevertheless, it is an awful lot of fun, and honestly, he's just chewing the scenery all through this film. He's, uh, in many ways, gifted with a, a villainous face. What about the other newcomer, Alice Eve? Does she fit in well with the crew? She does. She does. Um, she's, uh, to be fair, you can't really talk an awful lot about her without, not giving away massive spoilers, but without sort of unspooling more of the plot than I probably want to this morning. Sure. Uh, but it's nice to have her in there. It's nice to have another female member of the crew. Uh, Uhura, of course, is back in this one as well. Though her role is a little bit as sort of a comedy foil, as a, a sort of a, a Spock sort of like, we need to talk girlfriend. Um, which does, you know, it, it's a shame because Zoe Saldana's great and we'd like to see her doing a bit more, but she does have a lot of the humour uh, and she's very good in that. Does this make you more or less excited about Star Wars Episode 7? Yeah, that's the thing that everyone's going to be wondering about. I, I don't think you can really compare uh, the two things for the simple reason that JJ is, by his own admission, not a Star Trek fan uh, and he's obsessed with Star Wars. So I think he will approach Star Wars very differently. That said, Watch 2009 Star Trek, watch Star Trek Into Darkness. There's nothing there that makes me worry that he's going to cock up Star Wars at all. Uh, actually, I think Star Wars is in, a, is in a very, very safe pair of hands. And I think for Star Trek fans, there's an awful lot to like about Into Darkness. There's an awful lot of nods and tips and references to uh, to sort of classic Star Trek uh, things, from props to creatures to situations to characters. I mean, it's quite lovingly put together. I mean, it helps that one of the writers, Bob Orsey, is a massive, uh, a massive Trekkie. But there's loads of stuff in there that Star Trek fans will recognise and they'll appreciate. So, Benedict, I kind of already know the answer to this. You've mentioned already, but he strikes me as one of those guys who was born to be a good villain. He's amazing. He is absolutely amazing in this. Um, in his massive ship, humongous dreadnought class yes, ship. Yes, dreadnought class indeed. Uh, that ship is phenomenal. Uh, love it. It's like a really good because the Federation ships, all Trekkies, they're all very clean and very, you know, beige. Uh, whereas this is, it's black, it's spiky, it's you know, it's a big monster, but still in the traditional Federation design. Mm. Uh, it, that's a lot of fun. But yes. Um, Harrison's great, actually. He's really, really great. Um, the uh, weirdly, the, the, it almost to, to the, not to the film's detriment, but he overshadows Kirk. The thing about the first film for me is that Kirk is, is his charisma just, just rolls the film along, and then this one, his charisma just hits the wall that is Benedict Cumberbatch, and he just dominates every scene that he's in. Uh, he completely controls the film from that point. Uh, so much so that at one point you're kind of rooting for him a little bit because he's such an appealing uh, an appealing character and that he has such presence. Um, Welcome to Martin Freeman's world. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's, uh, I mean, is this the best role he's ever had? You know, I'm not going to say that. I, it's certainly the most I've ever enjoyed Benedict Cumberbatch. I really did. And I enjoy him a lot generally, so that's very exciting. Uh, my final question will be, what stars can we expect to be put next to this current track? Uh, I'm not reviewing this film. Ian Freer is even now ensconced in a Starfleet bunker somewhere writing out the uh, Mammoth Review, which will be going off on the site on Monday. Uh, but I can tell you the star rating is between three and five. Quite literally, in fact. Uh, I believe we're giving it four stars. Uh, and it is very good indeed. So that's great news. Four stars for Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, we are going to return you to your regular programme. Thank you for taking the last 10 minutes off that and uh, joining us for a little bit of Star Trekiness. Um, 
goodbye goodbye Okay, time for one more interview now before we head into the home stretch. Iron Man 3 opened in the UK yesterday, which was Thursday, and it's simply splendid. One of the joys of Shane Black's film is the increased prominence for Don Cheadle, returning for a second go-round as Tony Stark's best friend, James Rhodey Rhodes, a.k.a. War Machine, a.k.a. Iron Patriot. As Steven Soderbergh once said, if you can put Don Cheadle in your movie put Don Cheadle in your movie. Uh, when Cheadle was in London for the premiere recently, we sent Helen O'Hara and Ali along to probe him relentlessly. Enjoy. We're joined by Don Cheadle. Welcome. It's so good to have you here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, so Iron Man 3, uh, we saw it a couple of days ago and have spent most of the time in between then and now uh, squealing with <laughs> excitement, basically. Um, so how, you know, how did you react when you first saw this script? Uh, maybe we should do the, oh, the script. Yeah. Yes, I thought you were going to say the movie because I haven't <laughs> seen the movie yet. Oh, no. Uh, no, tomorrow night. The script was pretty dense when I first read it. Or maybe it's just that I'm pretty dense because I didn't really get it. You know, I there were so many uh, moving parts, yeah. and it was really long. And I think I fell asleep about the first ten minutes of the script. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when we get the scripts, they have our names and big numbers written all over them, so that no one can copyright yeah. them. So it's kind of hard to read through all that mashuga. So I said, you know what? I'll sh- I'll show up, and I think I'll figure it out on the set. Right. And I didn't. But it, apparently it turned out all right. <laughs> so you basically know nothing. <laughs> I, I go into most of these things asleep. I think that's the best way. Because then I can't be, you know, when anyone's, you know, wants to give me any crap about it, I could say, hey, I wasn't even really there. What is the name of your character? That is a, an excellent question. I think it begins with an R. Ronald. Oh, we can give you like a half a point. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel James Rhodey. I know my name in the movie. Speaking of names, I just want to double check from the man himself. Would you rather your character was called Iron Patriot or War Machine? Well, I believe um, that the rebranding of War Machine as Iron Patriot is, uh, I know it's not keeping in the lore of uh, the story. And I've heard that from, you know, the Twitterverse, you know, who's, you know, brought me up on Twitter charges. (laughs) I said, look, I didn't write this thing, man. I just, I just put on the suit and go to work. Um, but, you know, people have, were, were kind of, uh, you know, the real fanboy and fangirls of, of the franchise were saying that that was, you know, a foul. But he's he's been rebranded for this one and he'll probably return as War Machine in the if there is another one. So we'll see. Which name do you like the sound of? Because they're both quite, you know, they're both quite manly man kind of names, though. You know, you, either way, it's. <laughs> well, because Iron is already sort of, you know, Taken. used and and. And I'm such a fan of war. Mm, mm. <laughs> who I'm isn't? Gonna, who isn't? You know, who doesn't yeah. love a good war? I'm going to go with War Machine. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, I was curious, you say, you know, coming back. I mean, I'm not kind of digging here, but have you been tapped on the shoulder for being involved with other projects? Because when I watched this film, I know you haven't seen it, you really get a chance to be in it. There wasn't enough of you in two. I agree. So, yeah. Are you looking forward to being in more? Well, you know, it's, they tap you on the shoulder at Marvel on the first one. And they tap you and say, you'll be signing these seven contracts. So <laughs> we'll let you know if you're coming back to work. You won't let us know. We'll let you know. So um, there, there may be others. Uh, this was the last contracted uh, movie for Robert. So uh, I, I can't imagine there'll be another Iron Man if he's not back. But they worked it out with the Bourne Identity and with the Batman. So, you know, who knows? 
and uh we'll see we'll see i mean the marvel universe is is vast and 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 many many things can happen so we, we'll see i mean speaking of the whole universe you know did you see avengers and and do you know why rhodesy wasn't in it um i did see avengers and i don't know why, why rhodey wasn't in it thank you for you know, pushing on the bruise <laughs> while it's still fresh uh <laughs> but i did i did sort of mention that to kevin feige who's you know sort of the marvel brain mm. behind these movies at one point there was a line in this movie uh when the kids come up to to get an autograph you know one of them said how do you get to be an avenger and i said that's a great question kid that's a great question and again i don't want to keep hammering this bruise but do you feel like your character is anyway jealous of the fact that bruce banner is now tony's best buddy who said that who said that? Did Tony say that? Did, did those words come out of Tony Stark's mouth? Hey, you're my best friend, Hulk. I never heard that. I never heard that. Are you trying to start something? I, I kind of am. Okay, good. Well, you did. Way to kick it off. The gauntlet thrown down. Challenge accepted. I wish I had my big gun right now. I would vaporize you so fast. I knew I was going to get that. Yeah. They're nice, Sally. They're nice. Um, I mean, it's kind of cool this time because you get to see... Um, first of all, you get to see Stark and Rhodes together as friends. You get yeah. to see, you know, Iron Patriot and Iron Man working together a little bit. You get to see these the sort of two sides of the same kind of equipment, really. It's the public, the, the private guy, and, and then the sort of the, the military guy. It's right. kind of an interesting twist, I guess, on, on the pair of them. Yeah, and I think it's something that, you know, could, there's more to mind there, for mm -hmm. sure. You know, uh, the things that he's able to do sort of outside of the, the confines and constraints of 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 Rhodey's, you know military uh, command what that uh, requires him to do and the chain of command that he has to follow that Tony doesn't have to and likewise the ability to access things that Tony can't because you know Rhodey's sort of inside the circle mm. so there's there's more to mind like i said we we don't know what'll happen in the future and and there may be an opportunity to to dig back into that but those are the kinds of things that i think have been quote unquote teed up sure. that could come to pass. I'm saying Iron Man 4 has to be a buddy cop movie in some kind of way. Yeah. That's my feeling. No suits. <laughs> just kicking ass and taking just, names. Just kicking ass. <laughs> um, I'm curious as to whether you ever feel on this massive press trip around the world, whether you ever feel like you need to wear lederhosen. I wish the people at home could see that I'm wearing them right now. And it, they're very fetching lederhosen too. Thank you I very much. Say, yeah. Too tight or they're just no, right? Fine, Thank right. you. Just right. Just <laughs> right. Was there any room, when you have a script that's written by... Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say my lederhosen. Is there any room in <laughs> Try the veal. I'll be here all week. <laughs> Tip your waiter. <laughs> Is there any room uh, in, a, in a script written by Drew Pierce and, and Shane Black for your own like improv, like for sticking in your own lines? And if so, was there anything you were particularly proud of? A lot of it was... Uh, improv prior to us you know uh going on the set and actually shooting you know we'd you know go into to shane's trailer or robert's trailer or just on a side room and you know drew and shane and steven and and uh robert and i and even kevin feige would just go in there and work scenes out and figure stuff out and then we'd come out and shoot what we had worked out but yeah a lot of improv was happening behind it and on the second unit you know when i was shooting a lot of stunts uh a lot of the stunt sequences um nobody was there but me and the crew so a lot of the stuff that said you know during those sequences i'm you know with we'd call over and shane would be in the middle of some huge you know scene so i'd go well i'm gonna just say this 
I was wondering whether the line from Iron Man 2, which is one of my favorite lines in the whole franchise, is you saying, get a roof. Was that you? Yeah. Matt, really? <laughs> yeah, I can think up things like that. Oh, really? You think so? Sometimes. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it was that. written yeah. down. Is that what you mean? No, yeah, no, they wrote it, but I said it. So I feel like <laughs> it was mine. No, that was me. I just came up with it. We were just sitting up there thinking of all the things that we could say that were ridiculous, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, that may have been Robert, too. Who knows at that point? <laughs> we were, everybody was just throwing out everything. Try this one. Say they look like two seals fighting over a grape, you know? Okay, I'll try that. <laughs> The extended exclusive director's cut. Yeah. Exactly. I'd love to see a blooper reel for this because it's a really funny film. I think it's probably the funniest of the three. Oh, good. You know, and and I, I get the the feeling that there was a lot of that going on. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that probably wasn't appropriate to get on screen too. <laughs> so we'll have an R-rated DVD Yeah, the uh, R-rated DVD, DVD box, <laughs> box set, extras. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, I don't think it's necessarily a spoiler to say, but there is a moment when the password of your character comes up was it your idea, that password? That was another one that we kind of cobbled together <laughs> that we figured out what would be the the most embarrassing thing that, you know, he would have to say. So that was, you know, Shane kicked us off in that direction and Drew and Shane kicked us off in that direction. And then, like I said, all four of us were just lobbing out. <laughs> Every, say that. Okay, no, try this. What didn't make it? Some of them had sexual overtones. Uh, actually, all of them had sexual overtones <laughs> except for that one. But I'm glad one of them made it and yeah. that was clean yeah. and worked. Sounds yeah. like it worked. It did work. It did work. Okay. It got a big laugh in our screening. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Just, my brain is spinning as to what it might be. Oh, I, I imagine. Yeah, I don't want to. Along the lines, later, I'll say later, Hosen did factor in. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Um, when when Tony's introduced, when Iron Man is flying through the air, he gets his own signature theme tune, and that's ACDC back in black or whatever it might be mm -hmm. doesn't war machine deserve his own one and what would you pick wow what would war machine well flight of the valkyries has already been used right i guess a little bit but it's a classic it is a classic and it would go with the lighter host yeah, it would go with the lighter host. <laughs> let's just do a whole german theme here um i don't know what it would be well what is it good for wow you should copyright that idea <laughs> let's meet to shane later and go look just no, no, idea. no, no, no. I'll speak to Shane later. <laughs> oh. Okay? You started this fight. <laughs> I'm going to finish it. <laughs> that would be a perfect one, though. Yeah. Okay, you can tell Shane. I appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. So that's settled. I mean, speaking of Shane, I was going to ask about, you know, working with him. He's obviously made some of the great buddy movies. He's, you know, um, he's worked with, with Robert before. So did that, were you kind of the new kid in town then, you know? Well, he's bit. worked with Robert before, but it was his first Iron Man. True. So there was a lot of, you know, jockeying for position. And Robert was, you know, always sort of positioned to be the tiebreaker. Uh, and he would try to play us off against one another, um, which is very Robert-like, you know. Uh, it was a painful time, <laughs> I guess, if I'm going to re recount it for the listeners. I'm glad that's all behind us and that the movie came out fine uh sorry to say shane won't be black uh black uh but i'll still be black so right. we'll be fine it's good to know yeah yeah i'll still be black in the future i want to ask as well about you know obviously um you know 
the film isn't regrettably called Iron Patriot, it's called Iron Man, but you have played your own superhero recently as Captain Planet. Um, <laughs> Is how... he really a superhero? <laughs> In my heart. He's kind of a demented... He <laughs> yeah. began that way, I guess, and then... It... Yeah, and then it, things changed yeah. really if fast. If, if listeners have, have seen the, the series on, on Funny or Die, things go a bit wrong for Captain Planet, don't they? Yeah. Who... How did that happen? <laughs> um, well, the first thing that happened is I did uh, the drunk history thing with them, uh, the, uh, the the Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, which was hilarious. I thought Fool Ferrell and myself and um, Zoe Deschanel in it as well. Um, and so after we did that, I just had a relationship with them and they said anything that you want to do back, you know, come back and do if you want to think of anything. It's, it's great. You have a home here. So we were doing the Oceans movies and we were on the set and just kicking around. And I said, you know what we really need is a, is a spa for the gentleman, you know, for the gentleman's undercarriage. You know, we need a ball spa. So <laughs> we came up with Sax West and we did Sax West as a, as a thing. And we were doing Sax West and they pitched me the idea of Captain Planet, which I'd never heard of. You've never heard of Captain Planet? I'd never seen it, never heard of it. It is, as you say, nuts. It sounds. It seemed like it was insane. It seems like somebody had literally just made it up five minutes ago, but it was a real thing. It was a real thing. Real thing. And Children's people, TV. Yeah. yeah, and people knew about it. So I said, okay, I guess I'll do it. And I showed up, and they pulled out this aquamarine makeup, and I was like, what is that? And they said, well, we've got a. He's blue green. So I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. What did I say yes to? So so they start putting this stuff on my face, and I'm pissed off. But you know, I've already said I'd do it. And this dumb thing with the muscle suit in it. So, and then we started shooting it, and it was just ridiculous, you know. And four million hits later, or something yeah. like that, you know. Here then people want to pay you to do more, you know. So <laughs> then we get sponsored to do more. So that's sort of the genesis of of the whole thing. Yeah, after I was just rewatching the the. I don't think I'd seen the fourth one. But I was rewatching. Yeah, they're them today. all they're ridiculous. Rare. Yeah, demented and violent. Yeah. Yeah. He's got problems. He does. He, issues with woodpeckers. <laughs> Don't even say that word. <laughs> <laughs> Not about a Disney movie. God. <laughs> that man needs a film. That character definitely. Yeah, I think that is, there's a there should be a, a, an offing. There should be a Captain Planet movie. Absolutely. And and what's next for you? Do you know what you're what you're planning to do? Um. Well, I'm gonna. I've got to really take some time to rest. I think. Uh, I go back to the show uh, in August. We. St- sort of go into pre-production. So start getting the scripts together for House of Lies and go into production in earnest in September. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, uh, I have a daughter on her way to school, so I'm going to be you know, getting her ready to go off to college, and that's kind of a big deal. Wow. Um, I'm going to go back to the Sudan in May wow. um, and see a, the school that uh, we uh, helped build over there and interview some of those kids and get their stories and hopefully get some press to follow us and bring that back and and just really you know resting really i i i mean i think i can take a couple of weeks off i think i've deserved it well i don't mm-hmm. know you'll be the judge of that yeah i yep. feel like yeah. i should be. what do you have to say you i'm not going to comment for once in my life <laughs> you mean you're not going to comment in front of me <laughs> you're going to say a lot about it after i leave yeah a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah a little bit a little bit yeah um i'm curious about when you when you're doing these movies is there a temptation I mean, you're in a suit, right? Mm-hmm. Is there a temptation to keep a memento of some sort? Like, are you allowed to take anything home or are those suits sacrosanct? You can't take like the helmet? Allowed to? No. No. Okay. Able to? <laughs> in certain circumstances, you're able to. 
You have to keister it. Sure. But you can get it out. Yeah, so did you, did you keister a helmet? <laughs> That's a big old helmet. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite uncomfortable. <laughs> you know when... But I got it home. <laughs> when Robert Downey Jr. dares you to do that. You got to do it. You got to do it. But the crazy thing is it's home, but I won't touch it now. Nobody wants it. So <laughs> it's just there. It's one of the coolest and kind of most disgusting things. <laughs> most disgusting things I've ever taken house. home with me from a set. Yeah. Thank you for bringing it up. Another <laughs> bruise that you're pushing on. And, were you, and there was a physical suit then this time, because I know that, you know. Oh, there was a physical suit last time yeah. too, which is, is interesting because they can do it with dots yeah. and, you know, CGI and do the uh, mocap. So you're putting, I'm putting on this suit and going, what's wrong? I'll do some dots, man. Let's draw this thing. Because the <laughs> thing weighs, you know, 60 pounds and you can't articulate your arms in it and scratch your nose or anything. And did, it's, you, did you have a nose scratcher? People have to, I mean, no one was designated, but, you know. Should have been. If the, yeah, they should have been. But if someone's running by, you go, hey, could you scratch my nose? <laughs> or, you know, they had to, you know, you couldn't drink. Um, and then the other thing, uh, question I wanted to ask is also about uh, uh, Iron Patriot. I was going to say War Machine. Sorry. That's uh, fine. In, um, we see him in Pakistan, um, you know, knocking down doors, basically searching for the Mandarin. Right. Um, so, you know, he's clearly being sent on missions all around the world, I guess. He gets to... Gets to. I think he's more tasked to, <laughs> tasked you know. To. He's not asked to. It's And that was, you know, an interesting as you were talking before about the private sector yeah. superhero and the public sector superhero. And we've, when we have talked about what the quote unquote spinoff or the departure point might be for war machine, uh, you know, it, it might be when he goes rogue, so mm-hmm. to speak, and uh, takes a mission that he believes is morally, uh, that he's morally responsible for, but is not, you know, that's, that's against policy. Yeah. And does it anyway. And, you know, what happens when he's out there and he's been dishonorably discharged, but he still has, you know, the suit, the suit or yeah. or Tony makes him another suit. And now he's out there on his own, too. But even worse than Tony, because now he's a fugitive, mm. you know. So I thought that would be because if we wanted to do it, I think the best way to do it would be to, to go darker with it, you know, to take sure. it, make it even more visceral, mm. sort of close to what the first Iron Man, how it began. Yeah. And completely just felt really, you know, really visceral and really real, really realistic. Because well, that's, I mean, uh, you know, not to get comic book nerdy, but I mean, in, in some ways, Iron Patriot is closer maybe to Captain America than, than Tony Stark in, in, in that respect, you know, in, yeah. in having a job and doing it for the government. And some of the most compelling um, comic book stories in recent years, there was Civil War. Where where Captain America went rogue, and that was yeah. you're just like wow, yeah. how could that happen? Yeah. You know, so it's because what do you because when you have this huge machine gun on your shoulder, <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna use it, who are you gonna use it on? You yeah. can't use it on me. Well, I'd use it on you in a second. I can't wait to vaporize you, <laughs> just pink mist. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's like where is he gonna employ this technology? You know, yeah. you can't use it on the citizenry. So hmm. what do we do? He's got to go fight, you know, tanks and weaponry. Yeah. He's hoping. He's hoping. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, just to say thank you very much for taking yeah. the time. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You've got, a, I'm sure, a million other people to be interviewed by. Um, so, yeah. appreciate yeah. it. But this was the highlight, for sure. Awesome. I'll yeah. take that. I yeah. think it's because I'm mostly hepped up on, on uh, uppers <laughs> to, get, to get me through the day. That, that uh, Baraka, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't suggest. I, I, I mean, 
I don't want to get a, a lawsuit, but it did different things than were advertised. Yeah, yeah, it's got a magic power. I think if people use it, we'll know what we're talking about. Yeah. All right, great. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Uh, and the Iron Man 3 Empire podcast shenanigans don't stop there, as you might expect with the first huge blockbuster of the summer. We've recorded a spoiler special in which Team Empire dissects every bloody inch of Marvel's latest, well, Marvel. And that's not all. Director Shane Black and his co-writer, the brilliant Brit Drew Pierce, also drop by to give us our spoilerific take on part the third of Tony Stark's adventures. I'll be editing it next Thursday. Um, okay. Fourth Friday release next week. Okay, because of the US release date, which is next week, we're going to hold it back out of consideration for our US cousins who have yet to see the film. So you have a week to watch it, and then spoiler time. Indeed, so make a date in your diary and come back for more next week. Okay, let's get on with the review section now, and um, where should we start? Iron Man 3? Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, the spoiler-filled stuff will be in this special podcast, but for now, let's talk Tony. Who wants to take us through this one? Nick, you're the man who wrote the review, so I guess you're the man who should probably talk about it. Sure, it's really ruddy fun. Essentially a Shane Black film with with robotic suits and flying people and all kinds of kind of super-powered stuff. And uh, very, very witty scripts written by him and Drew Pearce. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. You, I've, I've written the review, so if you guys want to chuck in... Well, I'm just going to say what, what, what the plot is for what it's worth. Essentially... Tony is in a bit of a bad state after the events of the Avengers. After the Battle of New York, he, if you may or may not remember, went into space and then came back and was technically dead and was shouted back into life by the Hulk. Yes. So mm-hmm. it's fair enough. Even Tony has bad days, and that was arguably quite a bad day. He's having kind of panic attacks and can't get any sleep. But what does he do when he can't sleep? Well, he makes lots of suits and ignores his girlfriend and is a little bit of a... He's in a bad spot, basically. His bad spot gets worse when an incredibly evil man known as the Mandarin starts making threats and offering lessons to the US. He is played by Sir Ben Kingsley, who has possibly the best voice since Bane when it comes to baddos of late. So he is is, is essentially threatening the US. He, he, he blows up a theatre and is being a, basically a badass. Tony calls him out on this because one of his uh, bombs or whatever they happen to be hurts Happy Hogan, who's played by John Favreau, who obviously directed the first two films. Now, Tony calls him out and says, Come get me, bro. If you're going to do that, take me on. I will destroy you. The Mandarin happily does that, blows up his house, and Tony escapes by the skin of his iron teeth and <laughs> ends up in the middle of America with a broken suit and a sore head. From there on in, it's an incredibly exciting and fun adventure as you see how he gets back in the saddle and solves the world's problems, but without the help of his special friends. There are no Avengers that suddenly drop in and go, hey, I'm going to mm-hmm. solve it for you. It is very Tony-centric, it is very Robert Downey Jr.-centric, and it is very witty and very funny. And they explain the lack of Avengers quite well, I think. I won't say what it is, but there's a line that I think quite neatly explains it. The thing I really liked about this is that this felt like uh, they were this was a film made because of a story that they wanted to tell, rather than what you often get with some superhero sequels is how do we make another one? Where can where can we take this? You know, trying to find a story. This felt very much more like Shane Black had an idea, and then he got to make it. Yeah, he wasn't in any, he wasn't you know treading water. Um, and it's the it's by far the most fun of the three. I, I think, think yeah, the most complete as well. It's so it's so unusual for a third part of a. 
of, of a trilogy to be the best mm. in the trilogy. Yeah, I think this is absolutely fantastic. I loved mm. it. Someone uh, someone wrote in, I'm sorry, I can't remember your name. Uh, I think I actually responded to you on Twitter as Empire, but uh, uh, someone wrote in and said, uh, is the movie stymied somewhat by the fact that Iron Man isn't in it very much and it's mainly about Tony? And that's what people want to see. Yeah, They want to see Robert Downey Jr. as Tony. And I love the fact that this movie has Tony on the run and he doesn't have his accoutrement. He doesn't have, he, he can't uh, have recourse, he doesn't have recourse to his, to his bag of tricks all the time and it is about the brain and thinking his way out of, out of situations and of course quipping his way out of situations as well but they do use the suits incredibly well yeah, you know, there, they are, do. there are scenes where he's fighting and he's only got bits of his armour on and they just there's a fantastic scene where he's fighting in a kind of warehouse and he's only got the legs so he's kind of flying around doing yes. a bit of uh, martial arts stuff no it's just really really inventive and they've they've kind of wrung all the cool stuff you can do out of a guy with a suit of armour mm. I, don't, I don't think it was perfect because I think there was there's a stretch in the middle after the blowing up of his house, where there are lots of characters spread all over the place, I think it there becomes about maybe twenty five minutes where it's just a little bit jumping around from various places. You think, why is that person there? What are that? What have they gone there for? It just gets a, it. It spreads its loose ends out too far. It then tightens them up. But there is a point where it just gets a bit too spaced out. I think. Yeah, and the, like I said in my review, the villains are a bit problematic as well because I didn't quite know what they were doing or why they were doing it um, Mo- yeah, villain motives are yes, yes there are some ish yes yes to a certain extent I agree yeah not all the villains but, yeah, but some of them mm. um, you know and we I also, yeah we can't obviously talk we can't get into yet. spoilery stuff I, I did think that the last kind of 25 minutes was a little bit chaotic and oh see I was going to say by the end it's just so much fun like yeah if I'd forgiven it almost all any of its faults in the middle because there was so much good stuff going on. I, I think this also has uh, one of the best scripts for uh, for a big blockbuster we've seen for a long, long time. I think Marvel have been really, really smart recently. They've given their scripts to Joss Whedon, who's a great dialogue yeah. man. And for my money, I've said this in the podcast before, I think Shane Black is the best writer in Hollywood. And, and uh, they they seemingly have found an, his equal in Drew Pierce, uh, who is responsible for a lot as you'll see when you hear our spoiler podcast special interview next week, uh, a lot of the, the really surprising plot twists and turns in this movie and little touches as well that are, are pure pure Drew Pierce. It's so rare that you go into one of these big summer movies and are genuinely surprised and there's so much stuff in this film mm. that I had no idea was coming and I think that was hugely refreshing. Uh, a couple of other drops of poison in this otherwise very tasty glass of awesome. <laughs> uh, he's, unfortunately, the, I was quite looking forward to seeing Rebecca Hall play another strong female character. I thought the role that Rebecca Hall was given, that of Maya Hansen, Tony's ex, a botanist uh, whose interests I won't go into because, again, they're kind of spoilery, was a little shortchanged. Yes. I felt there was a bigger role there and it was cut out in the editing room. It was a bit of a Possibly. generic sexy botanist, yeah. you know, up there with Poison <laughs> Ivy from uh, Batman 3. Oh, it's a lot better than that. I like but sexy not, botanists. They do really well by Gwyneth Paltrow this time. She's a character you, who I think for me and the other two like fine yeah be in it whatever I don't care um, whereas in this one she's, I think she's great there's just several really really good moments for her mm. I thought everyone mm-hmm. has a line everyone has yeah. a line where you go that's a cracking yeah. line Jarvis gets one of the funniest moments in the film and the best the best line I thought which I won't spoil was just by a henchman yeah yes as he's running away I, who I, I, is actually uh, played by Robert Downey Jr.'s Sifu, his kind of martial arts instructor guy oh, called okay. Eric Oram. So, uh, well, well done, you. So keep, a, keep an eye out for that one. I will safely and confidently say this is the funniest movie I've seen this year. I honestly laughed my ass off watching it. It is. And as a, uh, and when you go and see it, and you've probably seen it already, uh, do tune in the, the spoiler special next week. But as a, as a Liverpool fan, I found it particularly enjoyable as well. Right. Uh, so that's. I do want to say as a kind of final thing, um, 
I would recommend seeing this in 2D. I've, yes. I've seen it twice, uh, both times in 3D, and I did not enjoy the 3D experience either time. I thought that, that it's a conversion job. I don't think Marvel, you know, of all the things they do incredibly well, I don't think they do 3D particularly well at all. Did we see it in 3D? 3D? Yeah. yeah. This adds nothing. Well, the fact you can't even remember it was 3D yeah. is very telling. Really? We yes, saw it, it was 3D? in 3D. Yes. I don't remember. Because you were saying, on, I saw you just asking on Twitter about the 3D. and I, was I saw go, it in 3D? You, yeah, you sat next to me with 3D glasses on. <laughs> but I mean, the second time I saw it, I actually took the 3D glasses off for entire sequences because it had made no difference. There was lots of talky moments where I actually thought to myself, why am I wearing these glasses? Mm. And just took them off. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was asking on Twitter, do I see Iron Man 3 in 2D or 3D? Well, I guess. <laughs> I knew it was 2D anyway because I'm not a big 3D fan. So there we go. So four stars for that. Uh, Iron Man 3 best this, best the series and Marvel are on one hell of a roll and can they keep it up with Thor The Dark World we didn't really discuss the trailer but the trailer came out the teaser it's a teaser more it's than a anything teaser, yeah. it's a teaser there's some really nice images in the uh, in the Thor 2 teaser I thought so the Greenwich Naval College gets obliterated so leave that's London alone kind of fun uh, check out Dan Jolin's trailer breakdown if you want to find out more Indeed, indeed. Uh, it's a brave film of counter-programs against Iron Man 3, but I can't see there being too much overlap, to be honest, between the audience for that movie and the previously mentioned The Look of Love, in which Steve Coogan plays Paul Raymond, a man who had one heck of a colourful life, leaving his stamp on London and indelibly his family. Thoughts on this one? Uh, I enjoyed this very much. I thought it was... Um, it's very funny. As a, a biopic, or biopic, however we're pronouncing it, um, apparently it's not very true to life of uh, Paul Raymond. Uh, I don't know with this kind of film how much that matters because I don't know how many people there are who are desperate to find out more yeah. about the inner workings of Paul Raymond who, in case people haven't heard of him, um, is a guy who he owns enormous amounts uh, owned sorry enormous amounts of property in London and uh, he was kind of a pioneer of the sex industry in London so he had um, various strip bars and then soft porn magazines and I believe he was the richest man in the country at one point. So it's about him and his relationship with his daughter, played by Imogen Poots, who was kind of trained up as his successor, but was not really suited to it. And eventually um, she died in that very sad circumstances. Like I say, as a biopic, it's probably not great. But as a film, as a comedy about a dad and his daughter who are continuously disappointing each other it's really good, it's really funny Poots is terrific, she's yeah. by far the best thing in it, Steve Coogan I think is very enjoyable but it's a very broad performance, it's not a million miles from Alan Partridge. It's interesting that you describe it as a comedy because I did, didn't really see it as a really? comedy at all, I, I kind of saw it as boogie, boogie nights in central London Oh see it made me laugh a lot Yeah, I don't remember a lot of, because it, it starts off like boogie nights, it starts off all kind of bright and you know, people having a good time making a lot of money mm. And then it kind of gets darker and darker, and the second yeah. half of the film is is really goes to some very sort of dark places. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's not a, it's not a broad comedy. It's Michael Winterbottom, so it's uh, you know, it's there is funny stuff level. in it. Yeah, but no, maybe I've maybe I've missold it as a comedy. But I think if not... you go expecting to see yes. an Alan Partridge sort yes, of thing, exactly. you're yes, going to come exactly. out a bit depressed. Yes, good correction. Don't expect Alan Partridge because that's <laughs> not what it is. Um, but yeah, whereas Coogan is very broad, Poots is much much more heartfelt and her her scenes are really moving there are so many scenes where she wants to be really good at what she's doing mm. there's a point she wants to become a singer and actress and he puts her in a show and she's just not very good at all and then he has to take her out of the show and close down the show that she's doing 
and she's kind of heartbreaking when she does it and she develops this terrible drug problem uh, she gets breast cancer it's kind of piling and piling and piling on things for her and um, that now I've made it sound really really heavy yeah, yeah. It, it, kind of, it kind of is a little bit though I think I, I think you know there is there is a lot of light stuff in the, in the beginning but then mm. by the time you come out I came out kind of feeling a little bit sad by it all because it is a bit it's, of a, a, it's, a, it's, it's a sad story yeah it's a sad it's a sad well it's a Michael Winterbottom film so it, it's the kind of it's his his comedies never all out comedy and his dramas yeah. are never all out drama. It's very much it's a in, mixture of the two. It's there is an official life. sort of version of this coming because uh, this was originally called King of Soho, mm. and the uh, Raymond Estate are actually producing their own film, which apparently has Tom Hiddleston attached to play yeah. the central role. I, I don't know if that's ever going to get off the ground. I just I yeah, yeah. It, it may, may well do an all. But that's interesting. Now, but I think but if that does end up getting made, that's going to be a very different. Kind of, I think that'll be a more celebratory True. kind of thing. Yeah, let's, let's I, see, I, I question like like I said the whether it's true to his life or not is the kind of, I think, the least important thing of this. Mm. I don't care particularly about Paul Raymond's life. Mm. Um, the, what I enjoyed for it was this relationship between these two people. Also, the, um, a portrait of what Britain was like then. Yeah. I mean, that they were so coy about... Like, the things he was doing, now not racy in the slightest, mm. it was, can I show a fully new, nude woman in this magazine? Um, and at the time it was... You know, everyone was up in arms. This was terrible. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see that someone living in that kind of life and uh, being that kind of pioneer. That's the stuff that's interesting. Um, whether it's all true to what who Paul Raymond was, I don't care. Whether and well, that's what I like about more. it is it's quite an unflinching look that goes to some places that I can't imagine. If there is an official film, I think there there will certainly maybe cover yeah. that stuff up uh, yeah I think the, act, the acting the performances are all really good there are some distracting cameos there's a lot of people from different British TV comedy shows in there Stephen Fry pops up for about four seconds which kind of took me out of it a little bit David uh, Walliams David Walliams Matt Lucas is in it Blink or you miss it Chris Addison has quite a big role we've also got him off the in-betweeners who I forget the name of but the uh, briefcase <laughs> wanker is in it okay and um, we gave this movie what oh, yes he is it seems like, it seems like three. Uh, yeah three stars it seems like uh Minor winter bottom, if you will. Uh, yes, which I think is still but enjoyable. Yeah, still, yeah, still yeah. enjoyable. Yeah. Okay, um, okay. So we're going to race through the uh, the next two uh, because also out this week is a, uh, a weird one. Actually, this film's been out in the states for a long, long time, and uh, it was even considered a dark horse for uh, Oscar nominations at one point. It's Richard Linklater's Bernie. Jack Black plays a gentle soul who may actually be driven to murder. Uh, Matthew McConaughey and Shirley MacLaine also star in this dramedy. We gave it Ali. We gave it four stars. Four stars. Uh, the story of this very nice guy who is uh, living in a southern US town, Bernie, as you may have guessed, played by Jack Black. He's a very sweet man. He helps out at church. He does Amdram, top bloke. Uh, but he makes friends with this wealthy widow called Marjorie, who's McLean, obviously. And their relationship kind of raises eyebrows. Now, she is, let's say, very, 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 very demanding. And it turns out that he may or may not have not been able to handle her shit. And have reached his breaking point. He's accused of murder. No one can believe that such a sweet man could possibly have done such a horrible thing. And the only guy who is willing to question mark this is Matthew McConaughey's character who insists this seeming sweetheart isn't so sweet. It's very dark. It's very funny. It's a bit peculiar. But it is a delight. Uh, People have compared it tonally to Fargo in that term. Uh, But it is genuinely impressive work and it's good to see Link later back on form and Jack Black in a decent role it's a bit of a comeback for him isn't it yeah Gulliver's travel seems a long way away hmm. yeah I think he'll need to make a few more of these 
to fully uh, make up for Gulliver's Travels. He's but. a very good actor, Jack Black. He, he gets a bad rep, um, I, I think. It was funny in The Muppets. Also out this week is the ABCs of Death, which is a horror anthology uh, with 26 horror directors, including the likes of uh, Ben Wheatley, contributing very, very short films. And it's a uh, very proud moment for us at Empire because one of those directors is Lee Hardcastle, who's twice been a finalist in our Jemison Empire Done in 60 Seconds competition. He's a master of grisly stop-motion animations, and one of his shorts, T, is for Toilet made the final cut there so check that one out if you want to take a look at Lee's uh, big screen debut and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast join us next week for more film related fun where we'll be joined for a lovely chat with Ryan Johnson director of Looper Brick and the Brothers Bloom of course there'll be a brief excerpt from our interview with Shane Black and Drew Pierce. we'll also be talking to uh, David S. Goyer the man behind Blade uh, the reboot of Batman and of course the upcoming Man of Steel uh, it's going to be a bumper podcast so do check that one out also as well the Iron Man 3 spoiler special until then it is farewell from Nick goodbye it is farewell from Ali goodbye uh, it's farewell from Ollie goodbye and it's farewell from me I'm off to put my Christmas tree up and watch Shane Black films until Santa squeezes his fat ass down that chimney see you next week actually I'm off to collapse because I'm really tired bye bye